chapter thirty three of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain realism at the end of about a week or so it became very generally known among the mystic upper ten of artistic and literary circles that theos alwyn the famous author of nurhalma was to put it fashionably in town according to the classic phrasing of a leading society journal mr theos alwyn the poet whom some of our contemporaries erroneously reported as dead has arrived in london from his tour in the east he is for the present a guest of the honourable francis villiers the consequence of this and other similar announcements was that the postman seemed never to be away from villiers's door and every time he came he was laden with letters and cards of invitation addressed for the most part to villiers himself who with something of dismay saw his study table getting gradually covered with accumulating piles of society litter such as is comprised in the various formal notifications of dinners dances balls soirees at homes and all the divers sorts of entertainment with which the english s'amuse molt tristement some of these invitations less ceremonious were in form of pretty little notes from great ladies who entreated their dear mr villiers to give them the extreme honour and pleasure of his company at certain select and extra brilliant receptions where royalty itself would be represented adding as an earnest postscript and do bring the lion you know your very interesting friend mr alwyn with you a good many such billets doux were addressed to alwyn personally and as he opened and read them he was somewhat amused to see how many who had formerly been mere bowing acquaintances were now suddenly almost magically transformed into apparently eager admiring and devoted friends one would think these people really liked me for myself he said one morning tossing aside a particularly gushing pressing note from a lady who was celebrated for the motley crowd she managed to squeeze into her rooms regardless of any one's comfort or convenience and yet as the matter stands they actually know nothing of me i might be a villain of the deepest dye a kickable cad or a coarse ruffian but so long as i have written a successful book and am a somebody a literary notable what matter my tastes my morals or my disposition if this sort of thing is fame all i can say is that it savours of very detestable vulgarity of course it does assented villiers but what else do you expect from modern society what can you expect from a community which is chiefly ruled by moneyed parvenus but vulgarity if you go to this woman's place for instance and he glanced at the note alwyn had thrown on the table you will share the honours of the evening with the famous man milliner of bond street an artist in gowns the female upholsterer and house decorator likewise an artist the ladies who compose sonnets in regent street also artists and chiefest among the motley crowd perhaps the so-called new apostle of aestheticism a ponderous gentleman who says nothing and does nothing and who by reason of his stupendous inertia and taciturnity 
is considered the greatest gun of all it's no use your going among such people in fact no one who has any reverence left in him for the truth of art can mix with those whose profession of it is a mere trade and hypocritical sham such dunderheads would see no artistic difference between phidias and the man of to-day who hews out and sets up a common marble mantelpiece i'm not a fellow to moan over the good old times no not a bit of it for those good old times had much in them that was decidedly bad but i wish progress would not rob us altogether of refinement but society professes to be growing more and more cultured every day observed alwyn oh it professes yes that's just the mischief of it its professions are not worth a groat it professes to be one thing while anybody with eyes can see that it actually is another the old style of aristocrat and gentleman is dying out the new style is the horsey lord the betting duke the coal-dealing earl the stockbroking viscount trade is a very excellent thing a very necessary and important thing but its influence is distinctly not refining i have the greatest respect for my cheesemonger for instance and he has an equal respect for me since he has found that i know the difference between real butter and butterine but all the same i don't want to see him in parliament i am arrogant enough to believe that i even i having studied somewhat know more about the country's interest than he does i view it by the light of ancient and modern historical evidence he views it according to the demand it makes on his cheese we may both be narrow and limited in judgment nevertheless i think with all due modesty that his judgment is likely to be more limited than mine but it's no good talking about it this dear old land is given up to a sort of ignorant democracy which only needs time to become anarchy and we haven't got a strong man among us who dares speak out the truth of the inevitable disasters looming above us all and society is not only vulgar but demoralized moreover what is worse is that aided by its preachers and teachers it is sinking into deeper depths of demoralization with every passing month and year of time alwyn leaned back in his chair thoughtfully a sorrowful expression clouding his face surely things are not so bad as they seem villiers he said gently are you not taking a pessimistic view of affairs not at all and villiers warming with his subject walked up and down the room excitedly nor am i judging by the narrow observation of any particular set or circle i look at the expressive visible outcome of the whole the plainly manifest signs of the threatening future of course there are ever so many good people earnest people thinking people but they are a mere handful compared to the overpowering millions opposed to them and whose motto is evil be thou my good now you for instance are full of splendid ideas and lucid plans of check and reform you are seized with a passionate desire to do something great for the world and you are ready to speak the truth fearlessly on all occasions but just think of the enormous task it would be to stir to even half an inch of aspiring nobleness the frightful mass of corruption in london to-day in all trades and professions it is the same story everything is a question of gain to begin with look at the church the pillar of the state there all sorts of worthless incompetent men are hastily thrust into livings by wealthy patrons who care not a jot as to whether they are morally or intellectually fit for their sacred mission and a disgraceful universal muddle is the result 
from this muddle which resembles a sort of stagnant pool emerge the strangest fungus growths clergymen who take to acting a miracle play ostensibly for the purposes of charity but really to gratify their own tastes and leanings toward the mummer's art all the time utterly regardless of the effect their behaviour is likely to have on the minds of the unthinking populace who are led by the newspapers and who read therein bantering inquiries as to whether the church is coquetting with the stage whether the two are likely to become one and whether religion will in the future occupy no more serious consideration than the drama what is one to think when one sees clerical notabilities seated in the stalls of a theatre complacently looking on at the representation of a society play degrading in plot repulsive in detail and in nearly every case having to do with a married woman who indulges in a lover as a matter of course a play full of ambiguous side hits and equivocal jests which if the men of the church were staunch to their vocation they would be the first to condemn why i saw the other day in a fairly reliable journal that some of these excellent divines were going to start smoking sermons a sort of imitation of smoking concerts i suppose which are vile enough in all conscience but to mix up religious matters with the selfish smoke mania is viler still i say that any clergyman who will allow men to smoke in his presence while he is preaching sacred doctrine is a coarse cad and ought to be hounded out of the church he paused his face flushing with vigorous righteous wrath alwyn's eyes grew dark with an infinite pain his thoughts always fled back to his dream of alciris with a tendency to draw comparisons between the past and the present the religion of that long-buried city had been mere mummery and splendid outward show what was the religion of london he moved restlessly how all the warnings of history repeat themselves he said suddenly an age of mockery sham sentiment and irreverence has always preceded a downfall can it be possible that we are already receiving hints of the downfall of england ay not only of england but of a good many other nations besides said villiers or if not actual downfall change and terrific upheaval france and england particularly are the prey of the demon of realism and all the writers who should use their pens to inspire and elevate the people assist in degrading them when their books are not obscene they are blasphemous russia too joins in the cry of realism realism let us have the filth of the gutters the scourgings of dust-holes the corruption of graves the odours of malaria the howlings of drunkards the revellings of sensualists the worst side of the world in its vilest aspect which is the only real aspect of those who are voluntarily vile let us see to what a reeking depth of unutterable shameless brutality man can fall if he chooses not as formerly when it was shown to what glorious heights of noble supremacy he could rise for in this age the heights are called transcendental folly and the reeking depths are called realism and yet what is realism really queried alwyn does anybody know it is supposed to be the actuality of everyday existence without any touch of romance or pathos to soften its frequently hideous commonplace but the fact is the commonplace is not the real the highest flights of imagination in the human being fail to grasp the reality of the splendours everywhere surrounding him and viewed rightly realism would become romance and romance realism we see a ragged woman in the streets picking up scraps for her daily food that is what we may call realistic but we are not looking at the actual woman after all we cannot see her inner self or form any certain comprehension of the possible romance or tragedy which that inner self 
has experienced or is experiencing we see the outer appearance of the woman but what of that the realism of the suffering creature's hidden history lies beyond us so far beyond us that it is called romance because it seems so impossible to fathom or understand true most absolutely true said villiers emphatically but it is a truth you will get very few to admit everything to-day is in a state of substantiality and sham we have even sham realism as well as sham sentiment sham religion sham art sham morality we have a parliament that sits and jabbers lengthy platitudes that lead to nothing while army and navy are slowly slipping into a state of helpless desuetude and the mutterings of discontented millions are almost unregarded the spectre revolution assuming somewhat of the shape in which it appalled the french in seventeen eighty nine is dimly approaching in the distance even our london county council hears the far-off faint shadow of a very prosaic resemblance to the national assembly of that era and our weak efforts to cure cureless grievances and to deafen our ears to crying evils are very similar to the clumsy attempts made by louis the sixteenth and his partisans to botch up a terribly bad business oh the people the people they are unquestionably the flesh blood bone and sinew of the country and the english people say what sneerers will to the contrary are a good people patient plodding forbearing strong and on the whole most equable tempered but their teachers teach them wrongly and confuse their brains instead of clearing them and throw a weight of compulsory education at their heads without caring how they may use it or how such a blow from the clenched fist of knowledge may stupefy and bewilder them and the consequences that now were a strong man to arise with a lucid brain an eloquent power of expressing truth a great sympathy with his kind and an immense indifference to his own fate in the contest he could lead this vast waiting wandering growling hydra-headed london wheresoever he would what an orator you are villiers said alwyn with a half smile i never heard you come out so strongly before my dear fellow replied villiers in a calmer tone it's enough to make any man with warm blood in his veins feel everywhere signs of weakness cowardice compromise hesitation vacillation incompetency and everywhere in thoughtful minds the keen sense of a fate advancing like the giant in the seven-leagued boots at huge strides every day the ponderous law and the solid police hem us in on each side as though the nation were a helpless infant toddling between two portly nurses we dare not denounce a scoundrel and liar but must needs put up with him lest we should be involved in an action for libel and we dare not knock down a vulgar bully lest we should be given in charge for assault hence liars and scoundrels and vulgar bullies abound and men skulk and grin and play the double face till they lose all manfulness society sits smirking foolishly on the top of a smouldering volcano and the chief symbols of greatness among us religion poesy art are burning as feebly as tapers in the catacombs the church resembles a drudge who tired of routine is gradually sinking into laziness and inertia and the press ye gods the press here speech seemed to fail him he threw himself into a chair and to relieve his mind kicked away the advertisement sheet of the morning's newspaper with so much angry vehemence that alwyn laughed outright what ails you now villiers he demanded mirthfully you are a regular fire-eater a would-be crusader against a modern saracen host why are you choked with such seemingly unutterable wrath what of the press it is at any rate free free cried villiers sitting bolt upright and shooting out the word like a bullet from a gun free the press it is the veriest bound slave that was ever hampered by the chains of party prejudice 
and the only attempt at freedom it ever makes in its lower grades is an occasional outbreak into scurrility and yet think what a majestic power for good the true real liberty of the press might wield over the destinies of nations broadly viewed the press should be the strong practical helping right hand of civilization dealing out equal justice equal sympathy equal instruction it should be the fosterer of the arts and sciences the everyday guide of the morals and culture of the people it should not specially advocate any cause save honour it should be as far as possible the unanimous voice of the nation it should be but what is it look round and judge for yourself every daily paper panders more or less to the lowest tastes of the mob while if the higher sentiments of man are not actually sneered at they are made a subject for feeble surprise or vapid gush an act of heroic unselfishness meets with such a cackling chorus of amazed half-bantering approval from the leading article writers that one is forced to accept the suggestion implied namely that to be heroic or unselfish is evidently an outbreak of noble instinct that is entirely unexpected and remarkable nay even eccentric and inexplicable the spirit of mockery pervades everything and while the story of a murder is allowed to occupy three and four columns of print the account of some great scientific discovery or the report of some famous literary or artistic achievement is squeezed into a few lukewarm and unsatisfactory lines i have seen a female paragraphist's idiotic description of an actress's gown allowed to take more space in a journal than the review of a first-class book moreover if an honest man desirous of giving vent to an honest opinion on some crying abuse of the day were to set forth that opinion in letter form and try to get it published in a leading and important newspaper the chances are ten to one that it would never be inserted unless he happened to know the editor or one of the staff and perhaps not even then because mark you his opinion must be in accordance with the literary editor's opinion or it will be considered of no value to the world consider that gigantic absurdity consider that when we read our newspapers we are not learning the views of europe on a certain point we are absorbing the ideas of the editor to whom everything must be submitted before insertion in the oracular columns we pin our faith on thus it is that criticism literary criticism at any rate is a lost art you know that a man must either be dead or considered dead or in a clique to receive any open encouragement at all from the so-called crack critics and the clicky men are generally such stupendous bigots for their own particular and restricted form of style anything new they hate anything daring they treat with ridicule some of them have no hesitation in saying they prefer matthew arnold remember he's dead to tennyson and swinburne as yet living while as a fact if we are to go by the high standards of poetical art left us by shakespeare keats shelley and byron matthew arnold is about the very tamest most unimaginative bald bard that ever kindled a lucifer match of verse and fancied it the fire of apollo it's utterly impossible to get either a just or broad view of literature out of cliques and the press like many of our other magnificent institutions is working entirely on a wrong system but who is going to be wise or strong or diplomatic enough to reform it no one at present and we shall jog along and read up the details of vice in our dailies and weeklies till we almost lose the savour of virtue and till the last degraded end comes of it all and blatant young america thrones herself on the shores of britain and sends her eagle screech of conquest echoing over old world and new don't think it villiers exclaimed alwyn impetuously there is a medal in the english that will never be conquered villiers shrugged his shoulders we will hope so my dear boy he said resignedly but the metal under bad government with bad weapons and more or less untried ships can scarcely be blamed 
if it should not be able to resist a tremendous force majeure besides all the parliaments in the world cannot upset the laws of the universe if things are false and corrupt they must be swept away nature will not have them she will transmute and transform them somehow no matter at what cost it is the cry of the old prophets over again because ye have not obeyed god's law therefore shall ye meet with destruction egoism is certainly not god's law and we shall have to return on our imagined progressive steps and be beaten with rods of affliction till we understand what his law is it is for one thing the wheel that keeps this universe going our laws are no use whatever in the management of his sublime cosmos nations like individuals are punished for their own wilful misdeeds the punishment may be tardy but sure as death it comes and i fancy america will be our scourge in the lord's hand as the bible hath it that pretty dollar-crusted young republican once an aristocracy she will engraft it on the old roots here in fact she has already begun to engraft it it is even on the cards that she may need a monarchy if she does she will plant it here then it will be time for englishmen to adopt another country and forget if they can their own disgraced nationality and yet if as shakespeare says england were to herself but true if she had great statesmen as of yore intellectual earnest self-abnegating fearless unhesitating workers who would devote themselves heart and soul to her welfare she might gather not only her colonies but america also to her knee as a mother gathers children and the most magnificent christian empire the world has ever seen might rise up a supreme marvel of civilization and union that would make all other nations wonder and revere but the selfishness of the day and the ruling passion of gain are the fatal obstructions in the path of such a desirable millennium he ended abruptly he had unburdened his mind to one he knew understood him and sympathized with him and he turned to the perusal of some letters just received the two friends were sitting that morning in the breakfast-room a charming little octagonal apartment looking out on a small very small garden which despite the london atmosphere looked just now very bright with tastefully arranged parterres of white and yellow crocuses mingled with the soft blue of the dainty hepatica that frank-faced little blossom which seems to express such an honest confidence in the goodness of god's sky a few sparrows of dissipated appearance were bathing their sooty plumes in a pool of equally sooty water left in the garden as a token of last night's rain and they splashed and twittered and debated and fussed with each other concerning their ablutions with almost as much importance as could have been displayed by the effeminate romans of the augustan era when disporting themselves in their sumptuous termi alwyn's eyes rested on them unseeingly his thoughts were very far away from all his surroundings before his imagination rose a gehenna-like picture of the world in which he had to live the world of fashion and form and usage the world he was to try and rouse to a sense of better things a promethean task indeed to fill human life with new symbols of hope to set up a white standard of faith amid the swift rushing on and reckless tramping down of desperate battle to pour out on all rich or poor worthy or unworthy the divine born balm of sympathy which when given freely and sincerely from man to man serves often as a check device a silent yet all eloquent rebuke to crime and can more easily instil into refractory intelligences things of god and desires for good than any preacher's argument no matter how finely worded to touch the big wayward better heart of humanity could he in very truth do it or was the work too vast for his ability tormented by various cross-currents of feeling he gave vent to a troubled sigh and looked dubiously at his friend in such a state of things as you describe villiers he said what a useless unit 
i am a poet who wants me in this age of sale and barter is not a producer of poems always considered more or less of a fool nowadays no matter how much his works may be in fashion for the moment i am sure in spite of the success of norhama that the era of poetry has passed and moreover it certainly seems to have given place to the very baldest and most unbeauteous forms of prose as for instance if a book is written which contains what is called poetic prose the critics are all ready to denounce it as turgid overladen strained for effect and hysterical sublime heine's rice builder which is one of the most exquisite poems in prose ever given to the world is nearly incomprehensible to the majority of english minds so much so indeed that the english translators in their rendering of it have not only lost the delicate glamour of its fairy-like fancifulness but have also blunted all the fine points of its dazzling sarcasm and wealth of imagery it is evident enough that the larger mass of people prefer mediocrity to high excellence else such a number of merely mediocre works of art would not and could not be tolerated and as long as mediocrity is permitted to hold ground it is almost an impossibility to do much toward raising the standard of literature the few who love the best authors are as a mere drop in the ocean of those who not only choose the worst but who also fail to see any difference between good and bad true enough assented villiers still the few you speak of are worth all the rest for the few homer wrote plato marcus aurelius epictetus and the few are capable of teaching the majority if they will only set about it rightly but at present they are setting about it wrongly all children are taught to read but no child is guided in what to read this is like giving a loaded gun to a boy and saying shoot away no matter in which direction you point your aim shoot yourself if you like and others too anyhow you've got the gun of course there are a few fellows who have occasionally drawn up a list of books as suitable for everybody's perusal but then these lists cannot be taken as true criterions as they all differ from one another as much as church sex one would be instructed in the art of reading says we ought all to study tom jones i don't see the necessity of that and oddly enough these lists scarcely ever include the name of a poet which is the absurdest mistake ever made a liberal education in the highest works of poesy is absolutely necessary to the thinking abilities of man but alwyn you need not trouble yourself about what is good for the million and what isn't whatever you write is sure to be read now you've got the ear of the public the fair large ear of the ass's head which disguises bottom the weaver who frankly says of himself i am such a tender ass if my hair do but tickle me i must scratch alwyn smiled he was thinking of what his shadow self had said on this very subject a book or poem to be great and keep its greatness hereafter must be judged by the natural instincts of peoples this world-wide decision has never yet been and never will be hastened by any amount of written criticism it is the responsive beat of the enormous pulse of life that thrills through all mankind high and low gentle and simple its great throbs are slow and solemnly measured yet if once it answers to a poet's touch that poet's name is made glorious for ever he in the character of saluma had seemed to utter these sentiments many ages ago and now the words repeated themselves in his thoughts with a new and deep intensity of meaning of course added villiers suddenly you must expect plenty of adverse criticism now as it is known beyond all doubt that you are alive and able to read what is written concerning you but if you once pay attention to critics you may as well put aside pen altogether as it is the business of these worthies never to be entirely satisfied with anything even shelley and byron in the critical capacity abused keats till the poor suffering youth who promised to be greater than either of them died of a broken heart as much as disease this sort of injustice will go on to the end of time or till men become more christianized than paul's version of christianity has ever yet made them 
here a knock at the door interrupted the conversation the servant entered bringing a note gorgeously crested and coroneted in gold Villiers, to whom it was addressed opened and read it what shall we do about this he asked when his man had retired it is an invitation from the duchess de la Saint-Oisy. she asked us to go and dine with her next week a party of twenty reception afterward i think we'd better accept what do you say alwyn roused himself from his reverie anything to please you my dear boy he answered cheerfully but i haven't the faintest idea who the duchess de la Saint-Oisy is no well she's an englishwoman who has married a french duke he is a delightful old fellow the pink of courtesy and the model of perfect egotism a true parisian and of course an atheist a very polished atheist too with a most charming reliance on his own infallibility his wife writes novels which have a slight leaning toward zolaism she is an extremely witty woman sarcastic and cold-blooded enough to be a female robespierre yet on the whole amusing as a study of what curious nondescript forms the feminine nature can adopt unto itself if it chooses she has an immense respect for genius mind i say genius advisedly because she really is one of those rare few who cannot endure mediocrity everything at her house is the best of its kind and the people she entertains are the best of theirs her welcome of you will be at any rate a sincerely admiring one and as i think in spite of your desire for quiet you will have to show yourself somewhere it may as well be there alwyn looked dubious and not at all resigned to the prospect of showing himself your description of her does not strike me as particularly attractive he said i cannot endure that nineteenth-century hermaphroditic production a mannish woman oh but she isn't altogether mannish declared villiers besides i mustn't forget to add that she is extremely beautiful alwyn shrugged his shoulders indifferently his friend noticed the gesture and laughed still impervious to beauty old boy he said gaily you always were i remember alwyn flushed a little and rose from his chair not always he answered steadily there have been times in my life when the beauty of women mere physical beauty has exercised great influence over me but i have lately learned how a fair face may sometimes mask a foul mind and unless i can see the substance of soul looking through the semblance of body then i know that the beauty i seem to behold is mere appearance and not reality hence unless your beautiful duchess be like the king's daughter of david's psalm all glorious within her apparent loveliness will have no charm for me now and he smiled and spoke in a less serious tone if you have no objection i'm off to my room to scribble for an hour or so come for me if you want me you know i don't in the least mind being disturbed the villiers detained him a moment and looked inquisitively at him full in the eyes you've got some singular new attraction about you alwyn he said with a strange sense of keen edward excitement as he met his friend's calm yet flashing glance something mysterious something that compels what is it i believe that visit of yours to the ruins of babylon had a more important motive than you will admit moreover i believe you are in love in love alwyn laughed a little as he repeated the words what a foolish term that is when you come to think of it for to be in love suggests the possibility of getting out again which if love be true can never happen say that i love and you will be nearer the mark now don't look so mystified and don't ask me any more questions just now to-night when we are sitting together in the library i'll tell you the whole story of my babylonian adventure and with a light parting wave of the hand he left the room and villiers heard him humming a tune softly to himself as he ascended the stairs to his own apartments wherever since he arrived he had made it his custom to do two or three hours steady writing every morning for a moment or so after he had gone villiers stood lost in thought with knitted brows and meditative eyes then rousing himself he went on to his study and sitting down at his desk wrote an answer to the duchess de la Saint-Oisie, accepting her invitation End of chapter 33